everyone, it's March. Can you believe it? I'm personally thrilled and more than ready to say goodbye to the snow and cold. Bring on the sunshine and bring on an exciting Easter celebration at church. If you were here last weekend, you received one of these cards to help you invite a friend or family member to join you for an Easter service. Fill it out, tear off the bottom, put a stamp on it, and you're done. There are more cards at Information Central in the lobby, so get yours today. If you're on Facebook, you can also invite someone to church by sharing the post at the top of our page. Just click share in the bottom right corner or tag someone below the post. Now, since we know you'll be inviting lots of friends and family to join you on Easter, we'd like to ask you to attend services on Friday or Saturday if you can to help ensure that there will be enough room for new people who choose to attend on Easter Sunday. Before we know it, March will be over and we're gonna be moving into April and starting a great new message series. It's called Culture Clash. The world feels crazy right now. It seems like everyone has strong political and religious opinions and they're all out there for everyone to see. We talk about them in our classrooms, around the office, over family dinners and in our news feeds. And things are getting tense. How can we truly care for people even if we disagree? Join us for this timely message series, Culture Clash, starting the weekend of April 2nd and 3rd. Right now is the perfect time to sign up for parent-child dedication, coming up the weekend of April 16th and 17th. Dedication is a time where parents publicly commit to raising their children with Christ at the center. Head to eaglebrookchurch.com dedication to learn more and to sign up. Now it's time to sit back and hear some more great teaching as we continue the Raising the Bar message series with Senior Pastor Bob Merritt. Enjoy. Yeah, well, welcome everybody to all of our campuses uh, meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. Glad to see everybody. Way to go. You made it to church. Losing an hour of sleep, you still made it. So way to go. I also want to welcome those of you watching online every week. More and more of you are watching thousands of people around the country and world. In fact, got an email from a guy watches us in London every weekend, 4,000 miles away, Ryan, so welcome to you today and your friends as well. We're on a series called Raising the Bar, where Jesus takes an Old Testament truth and then, he, and then he raises the bar in the New Testament. What's interesting is that when you first read what Jesus says about anger or revenge or adultery, it seems totally unreasonable what he's asking us to do, but then you get into it and you see the brilliance of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and why for 2,000 years... It remains the supreme teaching on the planet for all people and all time, all cultures. And today's teaching is no different from Matthew chapter 6. The words of Christ, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal, for where your treasure is, Jesus says, that's where your heart will be as well. Talking about treasures, I was thinking about some of the treasures that I've stored up on earth over the years, and I brought a couple of them on, on the slides here. That's an Apple E 2E computer, was once one of my treasures. I bought that computer for $3,000, $3,000, 30 years ago when I was a grad student at Penn State. Had two kids living below the poverty level but thought I needed a computer. Used it for three years and then sat on a basement shelf for 20, and then we finally gave it to recycling. Uh, that's a muzzle loader you're going to see next on the screens. That muzzle loader has never been shot. I've never shot it. 35 years ago, I purchased this muzzle loader for $300. It's been in my closet for 35 years, $300 down the drain. Next slide is an emerald. An emerald. I didn't even know what an emerald was. 
But 23 years ago, I was with a bunch of pastors traveling through India, and a bunch of them were buying jewelry and jewels for their wives, and India's supposed to be good for that, I guess. I was the last guy in the shop agonizing over this little emerald when finally the merchant said in broken English, I give you good deal, 400 U.S. dollar. And for 23 years, that little emerald has been sitting in a dresser drawer at home. Called the guy this week, a money guy, and I said, if I had invested that $400 23 years ago, what would it be worth today? He said, at a modest rate of 5% interest, it would be worth over $1,200. $1,200, that's a set of golf clubs for a little piece of whatever. I mean, that's just a small sample of things that were once treasures to me, but ultimately failed to make me happy and secure. I, I could mention numerous other things, shoes, skis, bows, putters, a certain motorcycle that turned out to be a complete waste. Now, friends, nothing wrong with having things. I've got a lot of things. I've got a couple of guns that bring me incredible joy, boots that I can't live without, and a third stall garage that has literally changed my life. It really has. <laughs> but really, what does it say about us as people? When the storage business in our country, catch this, is a $22 billion a year business. Storage business, just to store our stuff. $22 billion a year. 20 years ago, there wasn't even such a thing as a storage industry. And now the average person has so much stuff, they have to pay somebody else to store it and keep it. But are we happier? Are we happier because of our stuff? Does what we have stored in our bins, basements, and cabins produce lasting joy and make us feel secure? Jesus said, be careful. Be careful about your stuff. He says, don't store up treasures on earth where rust destroys and thieves break in and steal. Not so much because it's wrong, but because it's deceptive, because a thing or a possession can't really produce the happiness that we seek. A couple of years ago, I was really into the TV program, American Pickers, maybe some of you were too. Two guys, Mike and Frank, travel around the country knocking on doors of old farms and junkyards looking for stuff to buy and sell. And Mike's favorite thing are old bicycles. He'll find a bike under a pile of trash somewhere in back, someone's back shed. He'll pull out a rusty old bike. It'll have missing parts, bent rim, missing seat. And you'll say to the owner, how much do you want for that? And the guy who's like 97 and living on fumes will say, I don't think I want to part with that. <laughs> it's like, what? And Mike will say, well, how about 100 bucks? The guy's on oxygen. He's got three weeks to live. And he'll say, I still might have use for that. I mean, come on. He didn't even know he had the bike until Mike dragged it out. So I'm yelling at the TV, sell the bike. You got days to live. I mean, what is it about our stuff that we're so attached to? I mean, some people have so much stuff in their barns, they can't even walk through it, let, it know, let alone know what's in it. But here's the question. Are they happier because of it? You know, people, I think, have been deceived into thinking that an object or a thing can make them happy. How else do you explain this almost insane attachment we have to our stuff? 
But Jesus, in verse 21, is so insightful. He says, don't store up treasures for yourselves on earth. Be careful. Here's the reason. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. He's saying the danger in accumulating more and more things is that that's where your heart is going to end up. And you're going to be deceived into thinking that having more and more and more stuff is the ultimate goal and prize. In life, God's concerned about our hearts. He's concerned about our passions, what we devote our lives to. And I just want to raise a question for all of us to think about. If you think that your happiness depends on how much you have, how much do you think is enough? It's a great question. If you think your happiness depends on how much you have, then how much do you think would be enough for you to be happy? What possession or income level do you think would be enough to make you feel happy and secure? You know what most people say to that question? Most people say just a little bit more. Just a little. A little bit more than I have. But it's an illusion. Because no matter how much you and I have, we're always going to want just a little bit more. In fact, the Bible talks about this very graphically, says whoever loves money, loves it, never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never, never satisfied with his income. Nothing wrong with having money. We all need a certain amount of money. It's the love of the obsession with the deceitfulness that if I had just a little bit more, that'd make me happy. I, I love this word enough. It's a great word. Wouldn't it be amazing if all of us at all campuses, anybody listen, wouldn't it be amazing if all of us could say this every single day? What I have is enough. What I have is enough. Here's the good news. Most of you have enough. The bad news is, some of you don't feel like you do, so you're still not happy. Most of us have enough. I want to try to convince you of that. If your annual income is $33,000, you are in the top 1% of the richest people in the world. This comes from the global rich list. You can look it up online. Just plug in your, your annual salary and it'll come up how, how wealthy you are. You're in the top 1%. If your income is $33,000, if it's $50,000 a year, you're in the top 0.31% richest people in the world. Here you are. Here's everybody else below you. If you earn $100,000, you're insanely wealthy. It's obscene. You're in the top 0.0. I don't even know what that means really. but you see, There's a whole lot of other people who are poorer than you. Let's just say it that way. Most of us have enough. The problem is we don't think we do because we've been deceived by the food channel and the travel channel and HGTV. We see what others have and we think, why don't I have that? Why don't I drive that? Why don't I live in that? Of course, these people look happy because they're on TV, but who can lay around in a hammock all day, eat, drink, and do nothing and feel good about themselves? 
Gang, that's, that's not life. That's a fantasy. That's, that's not life, not even fun for a while, you know, a week or two. The Bible says whoever loves money never has enough, and that leads to discontentment and worry. So the time we have left, I want to show you how to defeat some of the worry in your life. Jesus says there's a direct connection between our treasures and our worry, our money and our worry. So he continues in this text in Matthew. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. Do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat, drink, or about your body, the necessities, what you're going to wear. Look at the birds of the air, as, for, as an example, he says, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? The answer is yes. You're more valuable than a bird. God knows you, cares about you, will provide. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Here it is again. So do not worry saying, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? He says, pagans, unbelievers, run after all these things, thinking that's where my life is. They run. And your heavenly Father knows that's, that you need these necessities of life. And then he concludes, he says, but seek first. Seek first. Get your priorities first right. Seek first the kingdom of God, God's Values and all these other things that we worry about will be given us. Jesus repeats himself four times. I didn't give you all the verses in this text because it's a little bit lengthy. But four times he says, do not worry. Do not worry. Why do you worry? Do not worry. I think he's trying to tell us something. That we're not supposed to worry. So how do we defeat this? I want to give you four thoughts here today. How do you defeat worry? First thing, you got to look up. You gotta look toward God and put our trust in Him. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things that we worry about will fall into place. Jesus makes a promise, friends, that if you and I seek God first, then He is going to provide all that we need in return. That if the first thing I do every single day is I kind of look up and I say, God, you have first place in my life. I want to honor and serve you in some way today. Then the promise is he's going to supply every need that I have. Now, a big part of putting God's first is to make sure he gets some of my treasure. Because Jesus said, where my treasure is, that's where my heart is. So does God have any of your treasure? Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. A lot of people will say to me, Bob, God is first in my life. But then all their resources go toward themselves, which means God's not really first. Something else is first. And it's the reason some people keep coming up short and are so worried about life. So I want to ask you, is God first for you? Really? Really? And how would we know that? Now that you're in worship today is a great sign that he is. But is he first every day? 
in all matters of life. About three months ago, 921 of our congregation, 921 of you enrolled in the Financial Peace University program we offer here at church so that money is no longer the number one worry in your life. You 921 are taking steps to put God first, and I just want to say I'm so, so proud of you. In fact, I'm amazed at the amount of debt that these 921 people are are tackling. You want to know how much debt they have? These 921 people, the amount of non-mortgage debt they have is 23 million. 23 million among 921. That's the amount these folks owe on their appliances, cars, furniture, phones, TVs, and student loans. Now what that tells me is, with the exception of student loans, is that people have been deceived into thinking that acquiring more things, the more I have, is going to lead to happiness when actually the opposite tends to happen. But when you put God first, as these 921 people are beginning to do, your priorities change and you stop spending and accumulating so many things because your priorities have changed. The good news is that in just nine weeks in being in this program, those 921 people have eliminated $1.1 million of that $23 million. And in two years, most of it will be gone. Isn't that great? Last year, a couple wrote to me after they went through the program here. And she said, Dear Bob, my husband and I were over the top in debt. Payday came every two weeks, but only lasted a week and a half. That's a problem. One Sunday morning, we had a huge argument about money and almost didn't go to church, but somehow we made it, sat in the very back, and I started to cry from your first word. We came home from church, and we looked up Financial Peace University, and there was one spot left at the Lionel Lakes campus for us to participate. We could barely come up with the 90 bucks to register, but I'm writing to you today, a year later, because my husband and I just completed step number two, paying off a total of $42,000 of debt. We also have our $1,000 emergency fund set aside. Most importantly, we've begun giving to God what is his, the tithe, the 10% of all we earn. We are so grateful, she says, God is so good. We stand in awe of the bondage we came out of in just one year. Only God could do this kind of thing with deepest thanks. See, when God becomes first, Then you know what's second, third, and fourth, and the result is worry goes down and happiness and security goes up. So gang, you got to look up. Put God first in your life. Help him, ask him to help you manage your priorities and your values and your passions. Seek him first. And all the things that we worry about will fall into place. Second way to eliminate worry is you got to show up you got to show up. You know, Jesus tells us not to worry. He's not advocating a kind of laid-back, disengaged approach to life. You know, for example, he, he pointed to the birds as creatures who don't have to worry because the, the Heavenly Father provides for them. But you never see birds just laying around, waiting for their food to come. You, you never see birds just, well, I'm just going to wait on God. I'm just going to... Seek him first and trust and just not do anything. You never see birds do that. They dig and they look and they fly, sometimes migrate thousands of miles to find food. 
So God promises to meet our needs, but he expects us to show up. Go to school. Go to work. Do your part. A couple weeks ago, we brought our car into the dealer where we bought it a few years ago to get it serviced. And I hate doing this because you just sit around the lobby and wait for them for a couple hours. My wife and I were sitting there reading when a kid in his late teens, early 20s, walked up to the parts window at this dealer because he had wrecked the front end of his car and he needed a new grill. And I was listening in because you know, I have nothing else to do but watch people. So the parts, guy, the parts guy brought out a new grill. It was just a piece of plastic, but I heard him say it's going to cost $350. And I said to Laura, I said, i got to jump in here. I said, can't let this kid do this because you don't buy a part from a dealer. And no offense to dealers, by the way. I know we have a lot of dealers. So, you know, no offense, but there are, there are cheaper ways to go. And, and so... Uh, the kid was totally clueless. He's starting to fish for his money and pulling out 100 here and 100 there, pants hanging down, oversized jack with bling on it. And you could tell he just didn't have any money. And so my heart was going out to him. He's about to spend over $300 on a cheap part. So I went up to the window. I apologized to the part guy. And I said to the kid, I said, you know about CertiFit? You can get this same part for half the price. And he lit up. He grabbed his 300 bucks off the counter. He said, what's CertiFit? I said, well, come on over here. I'll make a call for you. So I called CertiFit, found the exact part for $95. The kid was ecstatic, shook my hand three times, said, oh, thank you, thank you. He reeked of pot. I mean, he smelled like pot. <laughs> and I said, man, I'm glad I could help you. Glad I could help. And then I said this, but could I give you a piece of advice? He says, what's that? I said, man, you really should quit smoking pot. He says, oh, yeah, my mom tells me that all the time. <laughs> I was just trying to be a dad to him because he was at a deficit already, early 20s, pants on the ground. You know, don't add to the problem by smoking weed. You got to show up. You got to shape up and do your part. Nobody's going to hire a 20-year-old kid who's addicted. So I just, you know, I should have invited him to church, but it wasn't there. I just, you know, I, one step at a time. Stop smoking weed, guys. Show up or worry. Go to school. Go to work. Show up. Be the best employee at your workplace. We as believers, those of us who follow Christ, ought to be the best. Okay? Show up. Look up. Show up. You got to give up. It's going gonna, it's gonna to require some sacrifice. Part of, this drives me crazy. Part of the deception in our society drives me insane is we think the easy life is the good life. We think the easy life. We think ease and comfort are the ultimate goals. You know, get enough money, retire early, avoid all work, avoid all stress, travel to cozy resorts, eat and drink 24-7, play a little golf, lay around on hammocks and beach chairs and do it day after day after day until you get a coronary and die. That's not life. It isn't. Ease and comfort is not life. Can I tell you? The so-called good life is often terrible for your health. They've done research on this. In their great book, Younger Next Year, you ought to read it. Younger Next Year. The authors say this. The lifestyle of ease and comfort, especially in retirement, is a disease more deadly than cancer. Why? 
Because if you're looking for ease and comfort, you often eat way too much rich food and you don't have enough activity. Two things, rich diet, no exercise. And so many people are looking for the so-called good life where I can just kick back and do nothing. It's death. That's not the way to live. Which is why the easy chair is the most dangerous thing in your house if you have one. Easy chair, right? What's the most important item you need to have in your hand when you're in the easy chair? Oh, you know about this. It's the remote, right? What's the second most important item that you need to have in your easy chair when you're sitting in it? Doritos, Twinkies. You got to have something. John Artberg says this. What's, what's so dangerous about this chair isn't what you do while you're in it, but all the things you won't do. Walks that you won't take. Books that you won't read. Work that you won't do, people you won't serve, prayers you won't pray. Friends, can I tell you, there's not a single thing of value in my life that came my way because of ease and comfort. Not a single thing of value. Grad school was hard. Marriage is really hard. Raising kids, brutal. Hard. Hard, hard, hard. Leading a church, not easy. Navigating conflict, writing messages and books, staying fit, none of it easy. Often very stressful. But I'm telling you, you cannot have a good marriage, you cannot have a successful career, you cannot raise great kids if comfort is your goal. Can't be done. You can't have anything of value or worth if comfort and ease. Author and entrepreneur John Maxwell, this is so good. This is so good. You have to give up to go up. If you you remember nothing today, remember that you have to give up certain things, certain pleasures, certain comforts. If you go to grad school, that's three years out of your life that you're going to suffer, but you have to give up three years to go up in anything in life. Anything of value, you have to give up, and you have to give up even more to stay up. You do. It's sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Two of our good friends are in their 60s. They're very well off. They could live and travel anywhere they want to. But every Tuesday night, he and his wife lead a divorce care group at our church. So they just can't pick up and go, and they can't do some of the things they'd like to do because they're committed to being at divorce care every Tuesday night, and then they're here in worship on the weekends. But you should see them light up when I ask them about divorce care. The sacrifice they make of helping people through their darkest time is so fulfilling to them. They wouldn't miss it. It's their greatest joy on earth. But they had to give some things up to go up and experience this incredible ministry that they have. So so many of us, you know, we turn on HTV, and I do too, and we see these exotic places where people vacation and buy retirement homes, and we think that's the goal. That's it. You know, lay around from sunup to sundown, eating, drinking, sunning. It's all about the best foods and the best drinks and how much comfort, how much comfort I can bring to my body. 
And that's okay for a few days. But if it's a lifestyle, you'll lose it. You'll lose your edge. You'll lose your purpose. You'll lose why God put you on this planet. Jesus said that doesn't bring the joy and security we think it does. He said, so don't worry about those things, what you're going to eat, drink, or wear. And don't be deceived by what other people pursue, but seek God's kingdom first. Be willing to give a few things up, and all the things that you and I worry about will be given to you. Final thing. You got to look up. You got to trust God more. Put him first in your life. You got to show up and do your part. You got to sacrifice. Finally, you got to store some things up. You got to store it up. Look what Jesus says. Don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store up for yourselves. He's not against storing things up. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He's not against storing things up. He says, accumulate as much as you possibly can, but not here on earth where rust and moth destroy. He's a stored up in heaven. Why? Because nothing you and I have on this earth is going to last. In the treasure principle, his book, he says, storing up treasures on earth isn't necessarily wrong. It's just not very smart. There's not a single thing that's going to go with me. Not my guns. That kills me when I think of that. But I've got to come to grips with that. It's not going to go with me, not my boots, my money, my retirement fund, not even my third car garage, which I absolutely love. You know, the Old Testament writer Job said, naked you come into this world, and naked you're going to leave with absolutely nothing. So I just want to ask you, for the fun of it, think of your most prized possessions. You know, it could be a property, it could be a savings account or a collection of some sort. Friends, the minute you die, it's gone completely out of your life. And that could be depressing, but you can send some of it ahead to where we're all going to be if you're a Christ follower. Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So many people are worried about leaving this earth because they have so much to lose. If all their treasures are stored up on earth, that means each day brings them closer to losing all their stuff, and they're worried about that. Does that mean you shouldn't save or plan for retirement? Of course, you sh everybody should be saving a part of your paycheck for retirement and for the future. Does that mean you shouldn't own a home? Of course you should own a home. You should try to do that. Um, but frankly, when I die, I don't want to leave very much here. I want it to be waiting for me there. Randy Elkhorn says, you can't take it with you, but you, you can send some of it ahead. ahead. Maybe I'm never going to get the 40 acres of hunting land I've always wanted on earth. I've really always wanted that. But because I'm sending some treasures ahead, maybe I'll get that 40 acres in heaven. And I might just post it. <laughs> if you're nice to me, I'll let you hunt on it. Maybe. For all eternity. She says, it's just not smart to store up all your wealth here for the 85 years or so that you're going to live and have very little or nothing for the 85 million years that you're going to spend in heaven. So I just want to ask you, in love, really, in love, out of genuine care, are you sending any of your stuff ahead? Any of your treasure going toward the things that are going to last forever? Really, the only thing that lasts forever are people. 
You know, your investments and treasures going toward reaching people who need Christ. Any? That's why we talk about tithing in this church and serving, sharing your love with others. I mean, you have to ask yourself, one minute after I die, will I have any regrets about my stuff, how I spent my money? Well, I wish I'd have spent more of it on things God cares about than on myself. I don't know about you. I, for me, I simply have to spend some of my resources on reaching people for Christ, on building his church, and on helping the poor in this world. If you're a follower of Christ, and you're an American especially, you've got to respond to the, the poor. You do. You've got to sponsor some kids. You've got to do something. I believe we're going to be held accountable for that. I really do. In his book, It All Goes Back in the Box, John Ortberg tells about the time he finally beat his grandmother in Monopoly. Ortberg says, I was 10 years old, and I had everything. I had my money, my property, houses, hotels. I had boardwalk. I had park place. I had lost to my grandmother all my life, but today I was going to crush her. My grandma didn't like to lose. She still had a lot of snap in her girdle, as they used to say. And she was one dice roll away from ruin. I can still remember this. It all happened at Marvin Gardens. Grandma taught me everything I knew about money, and that day I took everything she had. I destroyed her financially and psychologically. It was the greatest moment of my life. I had won. But then my grandmother had one final lesson for me to learn. The greatest lesson comes at the end of the game, she said, and here it is. Now, Johnny, it all goes back in the box. All my houses, all my hotels, my property and money, when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. I didn't want it to go back in the box. I wanted to keep it and look at it and hold it, put it in my bedroom, but Grandma picked up the board and she dumped all of it back in the box, and it was over. Just like that. And I was depressed. Gang, one of the truths that you and I have to wrestle with is when this game is over, it all goes back in the box. And one minute after we die, we're either going to walk into heaven with a pile of rewards, the applause of heaven, and thousands of people rushing toward us because we had a part in reaching them for Christ, or we're going to walk into heaven with deep regret and embarrassment before God that we spent everything we had on ourselves and then left it here. You don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. The best way to beat worry and make your life count for eternity, you got to look up, trust God more with your stuff. You got to show up and do your part. You got to sacrifice and you got to send some of it ahead. My 85 year old mom doesn't have a lot of earthly stuff, but she has served Christ all her life. My dad died about 12 years ago. And she remarried an old guy, Bud. That's all she's got. Bud, he's like 108. Sorry, Bud. 
So there's nothing there. I mean, she's not going to leave me a dime. But I'll tell you what. She's got a boatload in heaven. My mom and dad tithed all their life. Didn't have a lot of money. Gave 10% of everything. I'm a pastor's kid. Five kids in our family. My dad and mom never, never had much. And mom still doesn't. But she's one of the happiest, joyful, looking forward to the next life. You're going to want to know my mom in heaven. She's going to be wealthy. She's going to have the hunting land. <laughs> and we're going to post it. At all campuses, let's stand for closing prayer. Let's pray together, Father. Um, I just want to thank you so much for allowing me to sit with this teaching all week long because really it's a confrontation of my own values. At the core of who I am, God, I'm greedy, I'm materialistic. I get caught up in stuff. And it's not wrong to enjoy the things we have on earth. I know that. It's not wrong to have things and to travel. We all need a little break. God, I pray that that won't be our obsession, but that the things of heaven will be, the things that last will be, people reaching others for you. So God, I pray that as we leave this place today that you will help all of us wrestle with this confrontation to the world's values, which are so different than yours. And help us to get it right. We love you and worship you and praise you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need some prayer today, come on up. Thanks for coming out, everybody. Have a great day. Have a great day.